Section 7 of the Kerner Commission Report. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by William Jones, Benita Springs, Florida. Report of the National Advisory Commission on Civil Disorders, Kerner Commission Report. Chapter 1. Profiles of Disorder, Tampa. 1. Tampa. On Sunday, June 11, 1967, Tampa, Florida sweltered in the 94-degree heat. A humid wind ruffled the bay where thousands of persons watched the hydroplane races. Since early morning, the police department's selective enforcement unit, designed as a riot control squad, had been employed to keep order at the races. At 5.30 p.m., a block from the waterfront, a photo supply house was broken into. Forty-five minutes later, two police officers spotted three Negro youths as they walked near the state building. When the youth caught sight of the officers, they ducked into an alley. The officers gave chase, and as they ran, the suspects left a trail of photographic equipment scattered from yellow paper bags they were carrying. The officers transmitted a general broadcast over the police radio. As other officers arrived on the scene, a chase began through and around the streets, houses, and alleys of the neighborhood. When Negro residents of the area adjacent to the Central Park Village Housing Project became aware of the chase, they began to participate. Some attempted to help the officers in locating the suspects. R. C. Oates, one of 17 Negroes on the 511-man Tampa Police Force, spotted 19-year-old Martin Chambers bare to the waist wriggling away beneath one of the houses. Oates called for Chambers to surrender. Ignoring him, Chambers emerged running from beneath the house. A white officer, J. L. Calvert, took up the pursuit. Pursuing Calvert, in turn, were three young Negroes, all spectators. Behind one of the houses, a high cyclone fence created a two-foot-wide alley twenty-five feet in length. As Chambers darted along the fence, Officer Calvert rounded the corner of the house. Calvert yelled at him to halt. Chambers ignored him. Calvert pointed his thirty-eight revolver and fired. The slug entered the back of Chambers and passed completely through his body. Raising his hands over his head, he clutched at the cyclone fence. When the three youths running behind Officer Calvert came upon the scene, they assumed Chambers had been shot standing in the position in which they saw him. Rumor quickly spread through the neighborhood that a white police officer had shot a Negro youth who had had his hands over his head and was trying to surrender. The ambulance that had been summoned became lost in the way. The gathering crowd viewing the bloody, critically injured youth grew increasingly belligerent. Finally, Officer Oates loaded Chambers into his car and drove him to the hospital. The youth died shortly thereafter. As officers were leaving the scene, a thunderstorm broke. Beneath the pelting rain, the spectators scattered. 
when an officer went back to check the area he found no one on the streets a few minutes after seven p m the selective enforcement unit tired and sun-parched reported in from the races a half hour later a report was received that five hundred persons were gathering a police car was sent into the area to check the report the officers could find no one the men of the selective enforcement unit were told to go home the men in the scout car had not however penetrated into the central park village housing complex where as the rain ended hundreds of persons poured from the apartments at least half were teenagers and young adults as they began to mill about and discuss the shooting old grievances both real and imagined were resurrected discriminatory practices of local stores advantages taken by white men of negro girls the kicking in the face of a negro boy by a white man as the negro lay handcuffed on the ground blackballing of two negro high schools by the athletic conference although officials prided themselves on supposedly good race relations and relative acceptance by whites of integration of schools and facilities negroes composing almost twenty per cent of the population had had no one of their own race to represent them in positions of policy or power nor to appeal to for redress of grievances there was no negro on the city council none on the school board none in the fire department none of high rank on the police force six of every ten houses inhabited by negroes were unsound many were shacks with broken window panes gas leaks and rat holes in the walls rents averaged fifty to sixty dollars a month such recreational facilities as did exist lacked equipment and supervisors young toughs intimidated the children who tried to use them the majority of negro children never reached the eighth grade in the high schools only three to four per cent of negro seniors attained the minimum passing score on the state's college entrance examination one-tenth of the percentage of white students a difference of at least three and a half years in educational attainment separated the average negro and white throughout the report in the presentation of statistics negro is used interchangeably with non-white wherever available current data are used where no updating has been possible figures are those of the 1960 census sources are the u s bureau of the census and other governmental agencies and in a few instances special studies forty three per cent of the negro men in tampa were working in unskilled jobs more than half of the families had incomes of less than three thousand dollars a year the result was that forty per cent of the negro children lived in broken homes and the city's crime rate ranked in the top twenty-five per cent in the nation about a month before police community relations had been severely strained by the actions of a pair of white officers who were subsequently transferred to another beat when officer oates returned to the area 
he attempted to convince the crowd to disperse by announcing that a complete investigation would be made into the shooting he seemed to be making headway when a young woman came running down the street screaming that the police had killed her brother her hysteria galvanized the crowd rock throwing began police cars driving into the area were stoned the police relying on a previous experience when after the withdrawal of their units the crowd had dispersed decided to send no more patrol cars into the vicinity this time the maneuver did not work from nearby bars and tawdry night spots patrons joined the throng a window was smashed haphazard looting began as fluid bands of rioters moved down the central avenue business district stores whose proprietors were particularly disliked were singled out a grocery store a liquor store a restaurant were hit the first fire was set because of the dismissal of the selective enforcement unit and the lack of accurate intelligence information the police department was slow to react although sheriff malcolm beard of hillsborough county was in contact with the department throughout the evening it was not until after eleven p m that a request for deputies was made to him at eleven thirty a recall order issued earlier by the police department began to bring officers back into the area by this time streets in the vicinity of the housing project were lighted by flames of burning buildings falling power lines whipped sparks about the skirmish line of officers as they moved down the street the popping noise of what sounded to the officers like gunshots came from the direction of the housing project the officers did not return the fire police announced from a sound car that anyone caught armed would be shot the firing ceased then and throughout the succeeding two days law enforcement officers refrained from the use of firearms no officer or civilian suffered a gunshot wound during the riot driving along the expressway a young white couple mr and mrs c d were startled by the fires deciding to investigate they took the off-ramp into the midst of the riot the car was swarmed over its windows were shattered c d was dragged into the street as he emerged from a bar in which he had spent the evening nineteen-year-old j c a negro fruit-picker from arkansas was as surprised by the riot as mr and mrs c d rushing toward the station wagon in which the young woman was trapped he interposed himself between her and the mob although rocks and beer cans smashed the windows she was able to drive off j c pushed through to where the white man lay with the hoots and jeers of rioting youths ringing in his ears j c helped him also to escape by one a m police officers and sheriff's deputies had surrounded an area several blocks square firemen began to extinguish the flames which by this time had spread to several other establishments from the three stores in which they had originally been set no resistance was met control was soon re-established governor claude kirk flew to tampa since the chief of the police was absent 
and since the governor regarded the sheriff as his direct arm sheriff beard was placed in charge of the combined forces of the police and sheriff's departments for the next twelve hours the situation remained quiet but tense by afternoon of monday june twelfth the sheriffs and police forces both had been fully committed the men were tired there were none in reserve as a precaution the sheriff requested that a national guard contingent be made available late in the afternoon governor kirk met with the residents at a school in the central park village area it was a tense meeting most speakers whether white or negro were booed and hissed the meeting broke up without concrete results nevertheless the governor believed it had enabled the residents to let off steam that evening as national guard troops began to supplant local forces in maintaining a perimeter and establishing roving patrols anti-poverty workers went from door to door urging citizens to stay off the streets a reported attempt by black muslims to incite further violence failed although there were scattered reports of trouble from several areas in the city and a few fires were set largely in vacant buildings there were no major incidents several youths with a cache of molotov cocktails were arrested they were white all the next day false reports poured into police headquarters everyday scenes took on menacing tones twenty negro men bared to the waist and carrying clubs were reported to be gathering they turned out to be construction workers mayor nuchiel met with residents at their suggestion that the man most likely to carry the weight with the youngsters was coach jim williams he placed a call to tallahassee where williams was attending a coaching clinic an impressive-looking man with graying hair williams arrived in tampa almost forty-eight hours after the shooting of martin chambers together with another coach he went to an eatery called the greek stand behind which he found a number of youngsters fashioning an arsenal of bottles bricks and molotov cocktails as in the crowds that were once more beginning together the principal complaint was the presence of the national guard which the residents asserted gave them a feeling of being hemmed in williams decided to attempt to negotiate the removal of the national guard if the people would agree to keep the peace and disperse when sheriff beard arrived at a meeting called for the college hill elementary school robert gilder of the naacp was speaking to leaders of the negro youth some were college students who had been unable to get summer jobs one was a vietnam veteran who had been turned down for a position as a swimming pool lifeguard the youths believed that discrimination had played a part in their failure to find jobs the suggestion was made to sheriff beard that the national guard be pulled out of the negro areas and that these young men as well as others be given the opportunity to keep order the idea which was encouraged by james hammond director of the commission of community relations made sense to the sheriff he decided to take a chance on the youth patrol in another part of the city west tampa two negro community leaders dr james o brookins 
and attorney Delano S. Stewart were advised by acquaintances that unless the intensive patrolling of Negro neighborhoods ceased, people planned to set fires in industrial districts that evening. Like Coach Williams, Dr. Brookins and Stewart contacted neighborhood youths and invited Sheriff Beard to a meeting. The concept of the youth patrol was expanded. Participants were identified first by phosphorescent armbands and later by white hats. During the next 24 hours, 126 youths, some of whom had participated in the riot, were recruited into the patrol. Many were high school dropouts. On Wednesday, the inquiry into the death of Martin Chambers was concluded, with the verdict that Officer Calvert had fired the shot justifiably and in the line of duty. Apprehension rose that the trouble would erupt again. The leaders of the youth patrol were called in. The sheriff explained the law to them and pointed out that the verdict was in conformance with the law. Despite the fact that the verdict was not to their liking, the White Hats continued to keep order. End of section 7